Good evening. Welcome back, everyone, to Retro Fantasy. We hope you're having a good uh, day, night, or afternoon, whenever you decide to listen to us. As always, I am Annie, and I am joined again by Z. Say hello, Z. Hello. And Chetza. Say hello, Chetza. Hello. Awesome. It's like, how are you guys doing today? Everything been going great? Yeah, it's fine. It's been one of those long weeks, but um, I'm happy to have this time to discuss, you know, things that have been giving us joy the last, like, two weeks or so since the last time we've had our podcast. Dude, I'm just excited about Halloween. That's my favorite holiday ever. I wonder why. I know, actually, because I remember um, back in uh, every Halloween, you always put up decorations. I used to. Um, I didn't do it last year, and I haven't done anything this year yet. You have to dress up your cat for Halloween, right? Yeah. It's her first Halloween. I I might (laughs) give her like a little vampire cape or something. I have a suggestion for you for a Halloween costume. What's that? Are you ready? Mm -hmm. Galley kit. Uh, I wish she right? was, I wish she was the right colors for that, but I could totally do that. Just do it spiritually. Yeah, it's just a green cape, right? <laughs> it's just a green cape. I was going to say what you could do is uh, just paint in the, the the lighter stripes on her, just paint them black, and she can be Garfield. She's fat enough for that. <laughs> wow. Throwing your cat under the bus there. She's <laughs> here next to me. She's fat anyway. <laughs> she is getting fat, though. <laughs> What if your cat was struggling with a, uh, not to say, like, she's, like, thinking to herself, like, man, I've gained some weight, but maybe it's not so bad. And then her owner on a podcast is like, my cat's super fat. She'd be Garfield. Scoodle. 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 Yeah, she's you totally hate, ignoring me. <laughs> do you hate Monday Scoodles? Do you hate Mondays? They're like, I'm not fat. It's a calendular problem. Leave me alone. Why much make fun of me? Just honestly, just, like, Asleep. Sorry, school for insulting you. Here's a pan of lasagna. Yeah, she's just she's laying right next to me, like facing me, falling asleep. Uh, I don't have my doggies with me this week, and they're with my sister. Aww. So you won't actually be hearing. But as a result for Ani, for editing purposes, you will not be hearing any dogs chewing on things or stepping over. Hey, uh, yeah, that reminds me. Were they chewing on like a water bottle or something last time? Yes, <laughs> correct. That was Luca. Chewing a plastic Poland Spring bottle. I never heard of Poland because, Spring. Is that like a bottled water brand or what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, that's, I guess maybe that's just mostly a uh, an East Coast thing. I could see that. Yeah, Poland Spring. We have Dasani. We have Vitamin Water. It's not count, I guess it counts in. That's all I can think of off the top of my head. There's probably more. That's the oh, brands no we have here. Right. What brands do you guys have? Do you have like different, uh, different brands? Well, I've, we got like Nestle, Dasani, um, Aquafina. Oh yeah, we have Aquafina. Um, Ozarka. So you guys never heard? But you, so you guys have never heard of Poland Spring? No. No. Wow, I learned something new. I just I I, I assumed that was like a, a countrywide brand. Actually, I guess it makes sense, but huh, good to know. Oh, oh, so interesting facts about this. So Poland Springs is produced in Poland, Maine. And it's actually a subsidiary of Nestle. Oh, really? Oh, so it's so it is Nestle, but for my region, for my area of the country. I wonder if it tastes like ass, like Nestle, because Nestle's bottled water. I'm sorry, is like the is like nastiest tasting water I've ever seen. I don't even know how you could screw that up. You know, it's it's okay. I mean, for for the whole purposes of the water, I it's it's fine. But I like to put like you know like what's it called those infusions in there, flavor infusions into my water. So I guess it doesn't matter. Oh uh, yeah, like the like the little powder packets, the little powders or the little uh, we have like Mio 
You ever heard of Mio? Yeah, the drops. Yeah, that type of stuff. Yeah, the little drops. And then I think now they have ones that are just like, they're not as, um, the flavors aren't as strong, but you just put a little bit. It's like a hint of like a fruit flavor. It's, it's got, the industry's gone out of hand. <laughs> the uh the water the, the flavored water industry yeah right <laughs> but no i'm excited for uh october too this is the time of season where you start getting into like uh things i know um there's a site i read jezebel um you know it's part of that a whole industry with the same guys that own kotaku yeah but they're actually a feminine they're more of a feminist spin but one thing they do really well is they do a haunted how a haunted a haunted story contest essentially a scary story contest and the rules of the contest are that they all the stories have to be based on something that's happened in your life so they're not works of fiction they're based upon something you've encountered and they're not necessarily ghost stories Huh. And so people who submit these stories are the commentators, and the most of the stories that win, there are some supernatural stories, but most stories are about like really like like stalkers, um, murderers, potential murderers, or all the uh, the enemies in the story are human beings. Which lends a lot of the stories actually a lot of like um, discomfort. Huh. Like they actually make the stories a lot scarier because you read you read them because it's sort of just posts. But almost all the stories in the posters generally feel like they could be real. And I always look forward to that every year when I go through the uh, that contest. Oh yeah, I mean I'm gonna have to check that out because that sounds interesting. I've actually been uh, listening to like a lot of creepy pastas and stuff, uh, you know, since the month started. Um, I don't know if you heard of the YouTube channel Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. It's like that's a good one if you wanted to get your ghost story, scary story on. I've never heard of it actually. I haven't. Um, I'll be honest. I'm not. I have never. I've been aware of creepypasta. And I know the things that have been inspired by it, but I've never actually engaged with the uh, the fandom, the website, or all that. Um, all the videos actually. I, anything I've heard is usually somebody posting it on another site. Or if it's become, or if it's become a break. Yeah, see, so, well, yeah. I've only heard of, or you know, went through the motions of reading or watching the story of certain creepy pastas. But I usually watch if I'm in the mood for something scary to watch on YouTube. I usually go to Mr. Nightmare's channel because he has like countdown lists of scary things that actually happened. Are they like news headlines? Sort of like in the lab, like. No, it's like people submit their stories of these events that happened, like while they were on a camping trip, or like I just watched one. It was creepy clips from doorbell cameras. Oh, I've seen that one, dude. Doorbell cameras. Yeah, the mm. doorbell cameras. Like in one of them, the guy who was at the camera had his face like so close to the camera and was like looking around with one eye and it was it was so creepy <laughs> okay yeah i saw i saw one like that but it was like guys dressed in clown costumes from back back in what was it 2016 when we had the big clown epidemic uh yeah oh yeah yeah i mean i've seen that one um but yeah i do like mr nightmare because that you know he has a lot of those stories another good one i like to go watch is uh slapped ham he kind of does the same thing but he also kind of does like myths and legends and stuff um it's not just wait the name is the the username is uh slapped ham slapped ham take that how you will <laughs> I, w- I would i would have guessed that that you well I, I i'm just surprised i figured if it was a user for a horror channel of some sort slapped ham is not the name i would have picked it might be like some kind of uh if you slap a ham it screams or something <laughs> that's the only reason i could think of <laughs> like a, a pig screaming could be kind of chilling 
Make you squeal like a pig, boy. Deliverance. Yes, that's true. I forgot. Deliverance. That's a really scary movie, too. All right, fine. I'll I'll I'll, I'll allow that um that explanation. But I mean, yeah, I, I do like uh you know like watching these creepy YouTube channels. Like you know, of course, there's Mr. Nightmare Slapped Ham. Um, going back to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, though, they do more than just creepy pastas. I mean, they do that, but they also talk, read uh, direct from like old authors, like you know, a, I want to. It's not H.P. Lovecraft. What's his name? Uh, is it H.P. Lovecraft, the the guy who does the Cthulhu? Yeah, H.P. Lovecraft is Cthulhu. Okay, because I think H.P. and I'm automatically thinking the computer manufacturer, and I'm like. <laughs> The computer manufacturer created Cthulhu. That's why their printers always break down when we buy them. What do you mean? Hewer, Packer, Lovecraft. It all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they'll do stories like that, you know, or, and it's like amateur stories. A lot of them are written, uh, read by uh, popular YouTubers. I know Markiplier did a few on there, and I think Jack Septicai did another one. Hmm, interesting. I'll have to check those out. I guess the problem is when I think about horror and YouTube, I think mostly about what I've heard from, like, shock videos. It's like, you know, things that are just designed for you. Like, look at this. Look at the clip. What's wrong with the clip? Oh, we're going to scare you now. <laughs> and there are a lot of those. And I'm like, and I, I think I was like, I remember growing up in that area where that was all the videos you would see. If you saw horror and it was like a YouTube or some type of video site, if you didn't want, it, it was just mostly shock. It wasn't about teaching. It wasn't about lore. It wasn't about building us, this, um, doing something legitimately scary. It's just a pretty blatant, cheap tricks uh, so so do you actually like watch a lot of creepy like youtube videos or even like tv shows i like tv shows i do a lot of tv shows um i don't but i don't do the youtube oddly enough i i've somehow bypassed the horror uh youtube genre of horror unless actually there's a japanese game show count uh, i mean japanese game shows can get pretty extreme so i'll allow it where they sometimes have like you know the the their uh actresses dress up as Sado, sadako and they just start jump scaring people i guess it counts more as comedy though but i haven't but i have engaged um in like uh, more tv shows and i think chess and i just mentioned last week about like crime shows Yes, crime shows are also kind of like real life horror, right? Yeah, because a lot of them deal with either murders or just generally bad people and just like as their topic. And thinking about because horror is not really. Yeah, so like thinking about those, like what would you do in a situation where you were a witness to this crime? Like I would probably shit myself. Not gonna lie, probably shit myself if I saw somebody get shot right in front of me. I mean, I probably would too, but I would like to say that I'd throw, I'd throw my soiled pants at the, at the assailant <laughs> afterwards, but I'd probably not. I'd probably duck behind a desk or something. Ploof. <laughs> <laughs> See, I've always wondered about, I, I, I don't know, have you ever been in a situation um, where you've been mugged? I haven't been in a situation where I've been mugged. I've had a gun pointed at me before, but that's like years and years and years ago. Oh, I have too. It was a rifle. Now, were these done in threatening manners? Uh, mine was. Mine, it was actually the way the housing was where I was living at the time. It was my mom's house, and then we had some open land next to us. And on the corner beside the open land, there was another house. And we had a dog that would constantly bark at like 3 o'clock in the morning. Well, the guy who lived in that house, he came over to our house at like eight o'clock in the morning with his rifle, went, came to our patio door and had it pointed at my face and was like, you better tell your dog to shut the fuck up or I'm going to shoot it. Of course, you know, can't tell a dog to shut up if it's barking at something legitimately. 
But my mom had just come home from the hospital. She worked nights at the hospital at the time and she had just come home and fallen asleep. So she, this woke her up and she ended up having the cops called on him because he was threatening me. My little brother was standing right next to me. We were like 14. I was like 14 or 15. So he was like two and this dude's waving a gun in our faces. Yeah, the dog is probably just barking because he's probably thinking like, this guy has a gun. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's that's nice. that's scary wow see i the reason i asked that question is because i have never been in a situation I, of being mugged yet or you know in that situation of having a gun pulled on me but i've always fantasized that i would most likely encounter it if i was walking mini or luca like really late at night and um someone would like you know creep behind me and my only weapon like yes my dogs are friendly and they probably would defend that and a person walking two dogs would not would not be a good target to be you know attacked or mugged so to speak but i feel like the hypothetical situation would be like after i collected minnie's poop it would just be my only weapon would be me flinging a bag of poop at the mugger <laughs> like i'm not to say i've, I've fantasized about this but there have been times at night where i sometimes go on at 11 o'clock or a midnight walk because sometimes these dogs just want to do things. Yeah. And I imagine I'm just, I have Minnie's stool, uh, stool in the bag, and I'm holding it. And I look behind me, I look forward, and I think, like, this is the only weapon I have besides my dog. Sometimes it's the only weapon you need. <laughs> and I think to myself, like, man, if this was, like, you know, if this was softer, if this was diarrheal poop, this mugger would be regretting it. <laughs> That's why I asked my question about that. It's an odd question. But no, I've never, I've never been, it's an, it's an odd question. It's an odd situation. <laughs> it's an odd discussion. But it makes sense though. Because mm -hmm. you probably, like, you have to use, you, you whatever, if you're in a situation like that, you'll probably think and wonder like, what are your tools yeah. to defend yourself? Right. People don't like to have poop shoved in their face. I feel like even most people. Most Ooh, people, I just thought of it even further. Oh. So, yeah, it's kind of exciting in a way. I mean, it, it's going to end up bad for you too because it's inevitably going to get on your hand. But you take that bag, right? Mm -hmm. And you put it in the palm of your hand. And if you can close the distance between you and the, your attacker, your assailant, mm -hmm. you can take the heel of your hand and do like an uppercut thrust to their nose. And it'll be double whammy for them because then that bag's going to bust. They're going to have dog poop up their nose and their nose is going to be broken <laughs> you assume many things about what i could do in that situation <laughs> number one being able to close that distance and be able to pull off that maneuver is one and you're a doctor uh, you've probably encountered that more than one. Oh, oh god i yeah i've encountered uh i've definitely encountered poop stories in my day oh man i could imagine i think i told you guys about one time about the uh, the crazy old man and the poop in the uh the psych ward I don't think I've heard this one. I do not remember this story, so please enlighten me. All right, this is a. You might have heard part of this one. I've messed up my much as the story. There was a day I was working in psych, um, my psych rotation, and I met this old man. And we, you know, part of our rotations is we go around and around and we meet like people who are in the ward. And we met this old man. that was kind of friendly, but I think he was like uh, probably in his eighties, kind of you know losing a little dementia, but also um, like, I don't remember what medical condition he had. But he was there for a reason. And we didn't look at it. But, you know, at the time, like, when you're doing, like, medicine and stuff, you think to yourself, like, one good thing is that you seem that patients are sometimes clean. So you kind of say hi. You have a nice discussion. They seem friendly enough. And then you're like, and they have, you have a nice conversation and you shake their hand. Right? Right. Um, so I did that. And I think I had, like, two or three or uh, three or four other students with me. And we just did it. And we reported back to the uh, the main physician that's overlooking us at his office, which is, like, probably um, another building. 
building. And we told them about the patients we met and be our consensus of what, you know, our findings were. And I think we, um, we got to that, and then we got to that man's case. And as before we start the, th- the discussion, the, ma- the guy's just like, the doctor's like, oh boy, this guy is something. And from my interaction, we didn't really notice anything particularly weird. I think maybe at worst we thought it was like he had some mood issues. It turns out this guy was um, taking poop out of his butt. <laughs> like, and making st- like figures with them. He was sculpting. Oh, wow. And putting it like on his windowsill. And like just doing things with it. He was just super unclean. <laughs> and then he then the guy, the doctor, turned to um, turned to one of us, and he just said, "Like you didn't shake his hand, right?" Because <laughs> no. I was the first one to shake his hand because I thought that was a nice thing to do. <laughs> so everyone and everyone everyone proceeded to like shake his head after they saw me do it. So I basically everyone was just like, "Oh God!" <laughs> and one one girl like ran out of the room. <laughs> So, like, ran to the bathroom and just started scrubbing. So I have to ask, though, did he, was he, like, changing his diet to make, like, the perfect moldable poo? No, that would be diabolical, but I don't think this was the case. I think this man was just a little crazy. I just wanted to make whatever he did. I never saw the sculptures. This is all only the medical reports and anecdotes. But safely to say, I never saw this man again. I could imagine that. Yes. So, that's my poop story. Okay, so going back to um, scary stories, though, uh, like, does anyone have uh, a movie or a TV show or anything that's like kind of a traditional Halloween thing that they watch or listen to or hell do? Like, you know, like any games you play, movies you watch, books you read, that kind of thing? Question. It's a very good question, actually. A Halloween tradition. I have several. I have several Halloween movies that I like to watch. Okay. Shoot them off. None of them were scary, at least not to me. Like, I love Trick or Treat, and that's actually the most recent one I've seen. (gasps) I love Trick or Treat. I had never seen it before. Ani actually introduced it to me, and I was like, what? This is so freaking cute. And it is. It's so freaking cute. It's underappreciated for its time. That guy ended up uh, directing the new Godzilla movie, actually. Really? Nice. Yeah, same director. Wow. Yeah, it's it's such a... I mean, I know it's not supposed to be a cute movie, but it is. It's such a cute movie. Oh, yeah, I love it. Um, I love um, I love the design of that movie, and I like the the anthology, and I like how everything wraps up. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I have that one. That's that's my quote-unquote horror movie, because all the others are not horror movies. But I cannot go through Halloween without watching Hocus Pocus. I'm one of those. Gotta watch Hocus Pocus. I have to watch at least the first Halloween Town. It's kind of a... I, I, I alternate when I watch my, my Nightmare for Christmas for the year, because sometimes I watch it for Halloween. Sometimes I'll watch it for Christmas. Sometimes I'll watch it for both. Because you're a big Nightmare fan, right? I remember correctly. I'm a huge Tim Burton fan. But yes, um, Nightmare Before Christmas I've seen to date, I've seen it like 142 times. You've actually counted. Yeah. Wow, you've actually counted how many times. Wow. I've counted how many times. So this, so if you watch it, so this year would be the 143rd time? Yeah. Wow. What are you going to do at the 150th? Are you going to like do something special? Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe get another Jack Skellington tattoo to celebrate. I already have one. And now I have to guess that because you watch it that many times, you probably memorize the songs to a crazy degree. Oh, right? yeah. <laughs> no, I actually got to ask you now that you said that. I know, what was it? Like a few years ago, Disney put out that remake of like all the popular Disney songs, you know, and of course, this is Halloween. It was one of them. 
along with like poor unfortunate souls and like you know all these songs that were done by like boy and girl bands it's like did you hear any of those I actually have the the Nightmare Before Christmas revisited CD. So it has a lot of the songs that are redone by different bands, like All American Rejects are on there, Flyleaf, Corn, uh, Marilyn Manson. Oh, so the good bands. And what's the verdict on that? The CD is amazing. Um, Flyleaf does. I'm trying to remember. I haven't listened to the CD in a little bit. I think it's. Oh, they did. What's this? But the way that they did it, they changed the style of the song. Oh, it's so pretty. Like, the first time I heard it, I actually kind of teared up because it's so well done. I actually got a question. Do you know who does uh, the Oogie Boogie song, you know, the where he's like, you're joking, you're joking, that song? Like, originally? No, no, like, uh, in the CD you got. Not right off the top of my head, but I can find out. No, I, I, I'll be honest. I never heard of the Nightmare Revisited stuff. Now I kind of want to check that out. Okay, so there's two two renditions of Oogie Boogie's song. One is done by Rodrigo y Gabriela, and the other one is done by Tiger Army, and that's a bonus track. Ooh. But on a funner note, the music that plays when Lock, Shock, and Barrel are doing their kidnapping, that was redone by the Yoshida Brothers. Oh, wow. What? Yes. Okay, I'm going to have to YouTube that later. I have to YouTube all this stuff later. I've never even, I'm not aware of any of this. Wow. Um, Corn redid the Kidnap Mr. Sandy Claus song that Lock, Shock, and Barrel sing. Nice. See, it's interesting. I, see, when I think about remixes and remakes of Disney, I always, I've been thinking more about those live actions, Disney's, the, the new live action Disney movies where they basically have had the new actors like do their own version of these classic songs. And I'm never, I never think to myself, these songs are better than the original. And they're not very, they're not particular, they're not even particularly creative. Like, I think, like, what you told me about the next yeah, Christmas, I mean, that sounds like a pretty fun mix, or that's a really fun take. But, like, what Genie and a lot, like, Will Smith's, um, you know, we, you know, his songs, or like The Lion King, all of them felt too familiar to be, like, to really stand out. Oh, that movie was so disappointing. It really was. Which one? Aladdin. I mean, I think they tried too hard to keep it faithful to the original. And I won't give them credit that it was a beautiful effort. It really was. But it lacked the energy and just uh, basically it didn't have the soul that the original Aladdin did. I mean, they should have. And then they tried to like put Jasmine in as a give her a more prominent story. When actually, I forget who it was, but someone was saying she didn't need to have a story. She had a story in the original one. I mean, everything that she was thinking about in the remake, you know, about how she would be heard and, you know, people would take her seriously. She was that strong, defined character back in the original. I I definitely feel that she did not need the song numbers that she got because at one point we were watching it and I was just like, oh, again? That's great that you want to have a voice, but kindly shut the fuck up at the same time. (laughs) So what was the verdict on Will Smith? Uh, if he would have made his own songs to like fit the scenes that he had the songs in, I think it would have been better because trying to mimic Robin Williams' uh, style does not work. It just sounds, one, like it's trying too hard and it just sounds tired. You know, it was a song, uh, what was it called? Uh, Prince Ali, the, the the version they did for the live action. Yeah. Like, was just, to me, like you said, devoid of energy. Like I like I remember the original was just like it's, it makes you feel like you get really pumped You're, as the audience you get really pumped about seeing all this Prince version of Aladdin going through the streets and there's just so much energy in the song and in the choreography but I don't know if it's the problem of just trying to mimic that into live action but it all it just did not compare at all to the animated version 
like it, it just felt like it was just scenery and there were just dancers just coming in being perfectly timed and none of it felt like fantastical when it should be fantastical i think a big problem there was if you really listen to how that song is how it's produced it's produced more of like a big band sound so when you have a guy who's known for doing like rap songs or you know hip-hop whatever and you try to throw him in that big band sound it doesn't mash well and that, that's not to discredit will smith for his effort i mean he did a phenomenal job trying it just didn't come across the way i think it could have with a different even with a different performer doing the song no, no that makes sense that actually makes a lot of sense i mean to Will Smith's credit, it's this is a pretty impossible role. Like it's one of those roles that, like, to to try to like every he would inevitably be compared to Robin Williams. And I actually think for he, he does a pretty decent job, honestly, because he he does bring that you know the big Willie energy. Well, that it doesn't help either. That if you ever watched or looked at a documentary for the behind the scenes of Aladdin, I mean, they admit like in the original that the part of the genie and everything to do with him was tailor made for Robin Williams. So, I mean, that's really a hard act to follow when you know it's not a general role, but it's actually built based on the characteristics of a actual person. No, you're right. He's one of a kind. Well, I mean. I guess that's why it is called You'll Never Have a Friend Like Me. Oh, oh snap! <laughs> Just the closer right there. There is one thing I liked in the re- in this new version, though, and I, I, I liked, and maybe because I like S, I watched SNL, but I like uh, the ha- uh, Jasmine's handmaid. Like, like she was, I thought she did a great job for a, a character that's newly introduced. She had a lot of character, and she had some, you know, like she, her hots for the genie was really funny. Everything like you know, I thought, I thought it was like one of the examples of what they could do in a remake or what they could do in these is like you could do something like like she does she just ran with that role completely, and for me she even stole the scene many times, like many times just stole this stole the movie. Yeah, I mean she did. She was a pretty good addition to the to the story, but at the same time, I kind of hated that they gave the genie a love story. I mean, considering you know Aladdin itself was a love story, and we were kind of focused on his whole deal, I don't think we really needed another pair of characters, you know, trying to you know do their like relationship arc in the background, especially when the genie again had his arc pretty much said and done in the original. They probably didn't want to have to reanimate him with the goofy hat traveling to Disney World again. Man, I kind of that, that's that's actually one thing I missed from the uh, animated version. What's a good example? They should have done like Roger Rabbit. They should have mixed in some actual real world modern day stuff with Will Smith's genie, just like they did with Robin Williams back in the animated version, because that would have kind of went more to that fantastical. This is a cosmic kind of character deal rather than uh, just a guy with magic, you know. Well, they probably. I don't, I don't know if one reason they did it that way was because. Um, they were they maybe the studio themselves was uncomfortable with the CG effort they did with the genie this time because I mean sometimes Will Smith genie looked okay but I imagine if you kept staring at him throughout the entire movie you'll kind of be like well that's a blue CG I think I think that's why they kind of kept him in his human form most of the time yeah that's probably that's what I think too I think like it also probably saves a lot of money to in the, in the CG budget so I understand that complaint but. Most that's most likely why they did. But uh, speaking of uh, Disney remakes, though, um, I don't know if you've seen uh, the new Lion King. I heard that one is not as good as people were hoping, and a big reason for that is, I guess, Scar. He totally killed the character of Scar. 
Um, yeah, I saw the new, I saw the new Lion King, and the best way I could describe that movie is that it does feel extraneous. Like, you, like it's surprising how you can watch that movie, and I don't think to me it doesn't add anything really to the Lion King at all. It really feels like a one to shot, like you know, shot for shot remake, but they try to do like a nature documentary. So the CGI is actually really good, but there is a certain point, I guess, where um, some critic mentioned. Um, that the Lion King's problem is that there aren't any human actors in the movie. And because you're doing nature and you're trying to do like a wildlife documentary, animals themselves don't have that many expressions in a way to like vocal, you know, the way they, they do things compared to like what you could do with animation. So when you try to do like make a movie of just like these um, real life animals doing Lion King like things, it all looks it looks really stilted and weird. Yeah, actually, I remember watching uh, someone talk about that on YouTube before, where they were saying one of the problems with a lot of these Disney uh, live action remakes, you know, they used the Jungle Book as the comparison back then. But I mean, yeah, animation allows you to do so much more. Was a was like a an animal face than you could ever do was a real life uh, creature or even like a, a realistic CGI one. Because I mean, if you try to like get Star to do some of the expressions that he did in the animated version, it would, it would be a nightmare. I'm sure <laughs> it would not look. Good. No. And I think the reason it didn't come, because the jungle book did really well too. Yeah. But people weren't complaining about it back then. And I think that same critic pointed out it's because there was a human actor in that film, Mowgli. Right. And so the, the CG creation was able to interact with the human. You can get a lot of emotion and a lot of that awkwardness, like with the CGI, ironed out through that interaction. But without anyone for them, like anything real for to interact with, it just feels very odd. Like it, it looks a little strange. And I kind of get that. Like it does look like, like it's, it's like almost uncanny valley, but there's something off. Right. But the, to answer your question about to, to reflect on what you said about Scar, the guy uh, who did it, um, I think it's voiced by the same. I can't remember the actor, but it's the same guy who played Doctor Mordo, oh no, Baron Mordo in Doctor Strange. Uh-huh. It's the same actor who does that, and for all intents and purposes, he does an all right job. The problem is that Jeremy Irons as Scar, it's a legendary role, right? And he like eats it. He chews the scenery so much. And and they make he makes Scar Jeremy Iron Scar is just like a jerk like unrepent like just a jealous jerk like and like you and like he's just so good at doing it and making him kind of like just so wormy and such like a an evil character such a like you know really terrible character yeah and the one thing the Lion King tries to do they try to like bring some human humanity to Scar so to speak. But, well, ironic saying that to about a lion, but they try to give some more pathos to Scar in a way, but it takes away from like a lot of what makes Scar such a delicious role to bite into. Yeah, well, like I said, I mean, he was a flamboyantly evil kind of character. I mean, you know, especially, you know, it, it, was, it was so much so that, you know, they gave him mascara in the animated version, <laughs> you know. You know, the same problem happened as with Aladdin, with Jafar. Yeah. Like Jafar was another very energetic, flamboyant type of villain. And he, you know, he was very evil. Right. But in Aladdin, he's remarkably plain. He just does not feel like an evil sorcerer. Yeah, he kind of felt like, uh, you know who he felt like? He felt like an Arabian version of Dick Cheney. Like, you know, we got to go over there and bomb all the people and take all their oil because, I don't know, this is Arabia and we do that, I guess. (laughs) Arguably, Chick Cheney's even cartoonier than this character, right? I mean, he's... (laughs) I mean, nobody can hold a candle to Trump, but <laughs> no. But uh, it's just, it's just. I don't remember like anything about that character. I can't remember what he looks like. And not that I don't want to, you know, that that if this actor ever 
happens to be listening to this podcast is just like, oh, you know, fuck these people for criticizing my role. But um, sorry, dude, they just didn't give you any favors. Maybe the way they, they didn't even cost, they didn't even really cost him you well like Jafar. No. If they give him, maybe if they gave you Gilbert or Gottfried as Iago and they let him come back and just do that specific voice, that would work. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't have a Iago voice. I mean. They just made a parrot. Yeah, it's a problem with that type of movie because they decide to try to go as a like, oh, let's do this like realistic and honoring cultures, and yada yada yada. <laughs> and I'm all for that, but it's like if you're gonna do realistic honoring cultures movies, it's like make new movies. Don't try to retell these over the top animated ones that people remember for being over the top and animated. But, um, speaking of that, also kind of makes me think too, and uh, this is something I'm sure Chesta will be very interested in. Is uh, you were the one who told me about it actually? That apparently there's rumors going on right now that they're gonna make a live action i don't know if it's a sequel or remake of the nightmare before christmas so i can only imagine how horribly bad that's going to be you know considering they can't seem to capture the soul of these animated works very well i was really hoping this wouldn't get brought up because i have such strong feelings oh oh that's delicious let me uh, oh you got my popcorn <laughs> all right popcorn ready okay i have a few issues with this one i know i know they're not gonna if they do a live action they're not gonna cast it right because there's it's impossible to do that there's absolutely nobody around okay i won't say absolutely it would they would be very hard pressed to find somebody who has the features that would allow them to play jack skellington as a fucking skeleton so he would have to be cgi right so with that in mind i would really hate for them to mix cgi and um live action together depending on the role the characters in my nightmare for christmas have such exaggerated roles anyways why would you do that in live action and even cgi would not do it justice it has to be some other medium i i just uh, i don't feel like they could do it justice ever I don't. I don't feel like if they do it as a remake, what are they going to do? Change the song? What can they do? If they do it as a sequel, again, what can they do? Jack's already learned his freaking lesson. Right. So, and I, I don't remember who said it, but somebody said that maybe they could explore one of the other characters, like um, the trio of Lock, Shock, and Barrel, make a backstory with them. I think if they're going to do that, somebody else needs to take the reins. It needs to not be a Disney thing, and somebody needs to make it an actual horror film. An actual horror film? Yeah. Why do, why do you think it couldn't just be like a, a nightmare spinoff? Like, why would it have to be an actual horror film? Out of curiosity. I just feel like it would run better as a, if somebody actually took that story. Because you know they have to have a very tragic past. Because everyone in Halloween Town is dead. How did these three kids meet their end and end up Halloween Town's finest trick or treaters? And how did they end up as the minions to Oogie Boogie? Ah, uh, see, I think I suggested with uh, Ani about this before too. Maybe you were on this. You're buying this session too. It sounds like a good Disney Plus show. Like it, it would be like a, an episodic type, of like a, a short TV show run, maybe going into the, the past and maybe acting as a prequel to Night Before Christmas. So that each episode could kind of focus on one of the kids. See, I would I would be okay with that, I think. But again, it can't happen in live action. No, live action would be a, a terrible idea. I've looked up the rumor about this, and I, I think I've seen the word live action put with this rumor. But I can't imagine anyone that likes the property would actually want to do a live action. Like, would prefer this as a reasonable option. If they're going to revisit it, it might as well be stop motion. Even, like you said, CG just doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't. Like... 
It needs to have that weird stop motion move. It needs to feel like they're almost like on Earth. No, it, it has to be a little like imperfect. Like CG is a little too perfect. Like it has to be a little bit rough. And that's what stop motion is really good at. Like seeing those objects move. Yeah. I completely agree with you. It would be a trap state. But at the same time, at the same time, I don't think there's any producers or directors, aside from Tim Burton, of course, who would be willing to put in the time that that takes. I would guess only way that would work now is uh, if they some if Disney contracted with Leica, who does like uh, all those stop motion tricks that has played. Yeah, I mean the only way I could even see like a Nightmare Before Christmas uh, even working as a live action property is if you did it from the perspective of like just the regular rank and file people in in the city, one of the cities that Jack flies over during the his Christmas run. You know, trying to deal with the monsters that he's delivering all over town that could be your that could actually be your scary movie right there. But even then, I don't, I don't think that would work. Oh my god. If they did it that way, I have a request. What's that? Movie gods that be, whoever is listening, if you're going to do the movie this way, the perspective has to be from the grandma who gets the race. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that would be awesome. That was always one of my favorite parts of the movie. I was about to say, and here just for that for that extra little spice for the for the fans out there, it's like make the grandma be the grandma of James from James and the Giant Peach. Oh, that would be awesome. Oh, that's right. I forgot that Jack was his model was used in that film, right? Yeah, he's he's the pirate. pirate. He was the pirate. Yeah. Oh, that's a good movie, man. I should start putting that on my Halloween rotation. See, yeah, what I do for Halloween watching shows. I don't watch a lot of old stuff, actually. I, I'm always looking at what's hot or what's, you know, not hot, but what's just been released. Netflix helps with that. They actually do been doing a lot of, like, horror stuff. They start doing it throughout this month, like horror film releases. And I guess they seem to have a deal with Stephen King now to do a bunch of their films. And so, um, actually, Netflix just released a, uh, a new movie called uh, In the Tall Grass. I don't know if you guys heard of this film or heard of the short story it's based on. Uh, but it's uh, based on a story that Stephen King wrote with his son. And he was also his own really big horror writer of his own, right? Now he's excellent. But anyway, this story in Tall Grass is that it's based upon the concept of, you know, uh, corn mazes? Yeah. Yeah. So you know how people get lost in the corn maze sometimes? Mm-hmm. So in this plotting, you have these siblings, um, a brother and sister. It's one of the sister is pregnant. She's um, thinking about whether she's going to keep the kid or not. And they go on this road trip. Um, so they go to, like a, near a rest stop. And there's like this giant field of really tall grass. And they basically hear a boy calling for help. And they start, they both like the first, the brother goes in the grass and he can't find, he can't find the kid. He's not able to find the kid. Despite the fact that the kid sounds like he's pretty close, he's uh, having a hard time finding him. And so his sister gets into the grass as well. And so what ends up happening in this horror movie, I don't want to spoil it because you guys might want to see it, is that they all get lost. But there's obviously something really supernatural going on that's keeping them stuck there. And the one though and in the way they, they encounter some lots of like weird supernatural stuff that's going on, as well as some crazy stuff that happens. The movie excels in the fact that it makes you feel claustrophobic. Like it makes you feel like you're getting lost with these people and you're not you're like what, what what's going on. And the big mystery movie is trying to find a way out while like trying to fight against something you just can't see. It's almost a little crafty, but it's also kind of Stephen King's also kind of played with this idea before of a force you're fighting against you can't see or touch. Oh, okay. So it kind of it's kind of like uh, Bird Box. Yeah, it's kind of like Bird Box in the sense that, like, yeah, you are dealing with a force you don't understand. But it's better than Bird Box because it contains itself just to the field of 
cast. There's only like four or five actors this entire film. Oh, okay. There's no flashbacks to any scenes. There's no. It's not like all of a sudden you're going to do like a lost like jump to someone's like, oh, why did what happened to us before we went in the grass? Everything that happens happens in the field of grass. Okay, well that's good. So it's. I think it's. It's. If you want to see an interesting horror film, I would recommend that. It's and that's the type of stuff I look forward to around this time of year now. And I think Netflix is kind of like corrupted me in that sense that I'm, I'm only like, I'm like interested in seeing what's like, you know, whatever pops up on the feed, I'm like, oh, this is, a, this is an old movie I used to watch and I'll click on it or it'll be something new. Like I'm not going out of my way to look for a physical copy or a YouTube copy of like, uh, of something I used to like watch years ago. I, I like like, you know, having those certain movies and like there's even a couple of games I like to watch or play like during, you know, the Halloween season to just kind of get you in that mood. I mean, you know, like uh, Chessa, I do like, you know, watching like Nightmare Before Christmas, Hocus Pocus, which apparently they've been talking about a sequel for that one for a long time. I think Hocus Pocus is coming out with this, uh, uh, a remake. Yeah, I mean, that's what I've been hearing, but, you know... It's been they've been talking about that for years, so it's kind of one of those. I don't know if it's like a, a what you call it in the ether kind of thing, or if they're just like still working on it or what. How do you feel about the idea of a focus of uh, focus focus remake? I'm not against the idea, but I is it something they would revisit? I mean, is it something you'd be interested in? It depends on who they got to play it. Like you know, if they if if they did like a Ghostbusters fiasco, uh, you know, where they got people who were not suited for the roles, you know, and that's nothing against those actresses. I mean, they're great. They're great, you know, actresses, but they were not suited for the kind of roles that you know a Ghostbusters style story demands. But I mean, if they actually got people, you know, who could actually carry the kind of roles and characters that you know Hocus Pocus, you know, would ask for, I would not have a problem with it, like at all. I'd be totally interested in seeing it. Yeah. It's, a, it's one of those. It's a premise where, like, you really, if you wanted to remake it, they they have there are there are some liberties. They could take some liberties and still retain the spirit pretty easily without upsetting. Right. I mean, you know, no, I'm not saying Hocus Pocus is like a super like you know complicated story. It, it's a it's a comforting horror. It's a comforting film. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's something it's easy to kind of digest. It's something you can have fun with. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it's. You know, it's it, it lives up to its uh, status as a family kind of film, so... No, I'm actually looking up on the phone. I forgot about all the actors that were in this movie in Hocus Pocus. There's a lot of, um... There's a lot of, no, there's a lot of people that are, like, more famous now that are in um, this flick. I mean, I, I'm really hoping, though, that we, uh... You know, we... It's like, if they do do this remake or, or sequel or whatever it's going to be, I just hope they kind of capture that same personality the original actresses brought to the movie, because... No, you're right. I, I, I'm okay with remakes and stuff as long as they kind of justify their existence. Well, yeah. Right? I mean, if it's it, as long as they justify and they don't like, uh, you know, it doesn't feel redundant. And I think Disney's live actions have generally been a problem with that. This, and the problem is they haven't learned any lessons because people have been spending the bucks to go see them. They've, been, they've all made a lot of money. Well, I think the problem with a lot of the Disney remakes is that they're not really trying to add anything new to these or they're... I mean, I guess, like, in a couple of occasions, they did try to expand the stories. Well, I guess they're trying to do it with all of them, but, like, I really didn't notice it until, like, maybe the Jungle Book, you know, I could kind of see it there, because they did kind of expand on why, like, Shere Khan hated, you know, the man-cub and, like, humans in general. Even then, I don't know if it warranted a whole movie. And that's, say, as someone who actually liked the movie, so it's not like I'm just sitting here hating on it, but a lot of them, they're just, like, beat for beat the same damn story, like, and I'm, 
and I don't understand why you're telling the same story that people already know. I mean, I guess to reintroduce a new audience, but I mean, that's what the whole Disney Vault thing from back in the day used to be about. It does make you feel old when you think about the idea that like those traditionally animated Disney films, which are gorgeous by today's standards even, right? They're still really good looking movies. They're beautiful and artistic. Look dated to today's generation. Like how, how crazy is that? you think about that right like the lion king as a 2d animated film it's a beautiful it's it's an amazing piece of art the disney's thinking is that you show and they're probably right to it to an extent you show this to like my niece and nephew who are like five and seven and they look at that film they say huh that looks old or it must not be it must be pretty old because it's not cg right right well i mean the sad thing is it's like a lot of a lot of the times uh you know, especially in the modern generation, it's like, unless it's made, animated from Japan, people don't really seem to care. Or if it does, you know, or, or if it doesn't look like it's animated from Japan, you know, in the case of a lot of stuff nowadays. And that's sad to me because people are missing out on so many good classics because, you know, well, it doesn't have the anime girl with the big breast and the beach episode and the, you know, and the power of friendship and, you know, God tier shonen super powered protagonist. And those are great. Don't get me wrong. I watch those kind of animes too. But at the same time, you just can't beat, you know, an old classic Disney movie or even their old shows from the 90s like DuckTales, which I am glad that one's doing so well now. Now that one does is doing really well for me. It's a very, uh, I, I, I love, uh, I love what they've done with the new DuckTales because that's a show that's clearly written and directed by people that like the uh, Disney Afternoon as kids. It would be us roadmapping the show. Right. That's what the Duck, the new DuckTales universe feels like. It feels like it's made by the fans to honor that universe. And that's my greatest, that's my biggest compliment I can give to those, uh, to those uh, developers or those, uh, that production is that. They seem to really care about getting things right. Yeah, I mean, it's not just DuckTales. It's like, it's basically a love letter to the whole Disney afternoon from, you know, back in the day when I was a kid in, like, school, you know? Yeah, like, I the, compared everything. They even call back to, like, the uh, the DuckTales game. Like, the fact that everything they have with the moon subplot um, is based upon stuff from the video game. Even using, like, pieces of the music, like the famous moon level in DuckTales. They use that composition as music in the show. Like there is clearly somebody that just loves DuckTales and they got like all the right people working. But but at the same time, making the writing a lot sharper, doing a good job of like just putting everything up to modern standards. Like having like um, Webby and Beakley being like uber badasses without making it feel forced. Right. Because one thing, like, you know, sometimes you, like you said, I think you talked about the fact that sometimes, like, you'll unnecessarily somehow plot it where, like, uh, like oh, all of a sudden, like, this character's, like, you know, was supposed to be this, but now it's super powerful, but there's no explanation, there's no build-up, there's no reason. You just did it to, or to appease a certain fan base. Right. What DuckTales has done is they actually built up these two characters every episode. And then, like, you just don't question why they're such badasses. Because you just assume that's who they are. And that's probably like, you know, that's what the show does really well. Yeah. And uh, I wish a lot of more uh, TV show and movie creators would kind of think uh, to do that, especially, you know, when they try to like revitalize, you know, quotation marks, revitalize old uh, properties. Like a good example is the J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies. You remember those? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like how they tried to make Uhura like the super badass uh, capable character who was always on the away team, you know, and always like in this in the thick of it was Kirk and Spock and 
maybe it's just me being old fashioned or something, but I was like, man, that makes no sense because she's a communications officer. Why the hell is she going on the away team missions with the captain and the first officer and the red shirt who's obviously going to die in like five minutes? I, 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 I see. I can understand. At first, I'd be like, I don't, you know, I go quite that. I get that complaint initially. But I forget that those films are technically canon. Yeah. So they're supposed to somewhat match up with the original characters themselves. And so that's, it's, that's technically taking things out of character because they're doing it like that. It's not like they, if they, like, if they were doing their own universe, right? And they were just remaking everything and they were nothing like the old characters. And I, yeah. Well, I mean, the, 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 the excuse is, is that apparently these are, uh, it's like an alternate timeline. So, you know, they can kind of get away with stuff. But I mean, it's still kind of lazy to me. Well, that's the thing. I, I never found the Star Trek films from J.J. Abrams necessarily to be, and I and I am a Star Trek fan. And I like Next Gen, some of like um, you know Deep Space Nine, but um, I always felt like he was never interested in making a Star Trek film. That wasn't what J.J. Abrams was interested in. He was making he wanted to make a Star Wars film. Yeah. So he didn't care. He doesn't care about continuity and lore and all that stuff. He wanted to make things exciting, blow shit up, make the the quippy action movie essentially. Right? Yeah, but that's not necessarily the Star Trek fan base. They they don't they weren't really they're not in for all of that. I mean, it's not like they don't appreciate it, but they also they care more about character, some continuity and lore. They care a lot. Like they don't they want they want that you know connection, which Abrams was not interested in delivering. Right. Honestly, I don't think it, I don't think he, I don't think he, I don't, honestly don't think Abrams really likes. He, he might have said that he likes Star Trek, but I don't think he likes Star Trek the same way that like the Trekkies. Yeah, I mean, I know, it's kind of hard to really say, but I think he was trying too hard to like tell the same story, but not tell the same story, if that makes any sense. Like, because he was trying to do his spin on the old stories, which with the Wrath of Khan, you know, the one Star Trek movie that pretty much every other Star Trek movie and certain other pieces of uh, theater are judged against, you know. Well, he does like to rehash things. Look at Force Awakens. Yeah. And I, I suspect his, the last Star Wars movie is going to be like a. Uh... A very familiar retread of some things as well. I just to end every, it'll be like kind of like a last uh, Return of the Jedi type feel. I'm guessing. Yeah, that or it's just going to be all about damage control because I know everybody hated the Last Jedi. Apparently, I suspect it's going to be damage control, but I I don't know if it's going to be good. I don't. I have no. I haven't been following any media for anything about it. Not because I'm trying to actually protect myself from anything. I'm not like the biggest Star Wars fan in the world. I just, I, I haven't, I'm not particularly pumped about anything. <laughs> it's going to be a movie. It's going to come and I want to see it, but I'm not pumped in the same way I would be pumped for like, say, uh, End, Avengers Endgame or things that would interest me. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. I mean, I'm pretty excited to, to see it though. What about you, Chessa? Are you pretty excited for the next Star Wars coming out actually in a couple of months here? Yeah, it comes out in December. I can honestly say that I haven't fully hated any of the newer Star Wars films. There's been aspects that I'm like, eh, that could have been left out. But a lot of people were having issues, like, accepting the Solo movie. I really liked the Solo movie myself. I thought it was kind of charming to see a different side of the story. So, correct me if I'm wrong, this this next one is actually going back to Ray's story, Right. Right. Okay, I can never remember who they're going with, so that's that's a problem. Let's put out 14 different ones, and we're going to follow somebody different every time. But no, I, I do like I do like Ray, I do like Finn, Poe Dameron, so 
I am excited about this one. Kind of makes me wonder what they're going to do next because you know somebody's going to be like, oh, I need another one. They are. It's going to be uh, the next trilogy is going to be my the same guy who did the last one. He's supposed to handle the next trilogy. Yeah, but I mean, if they're going to do another trilogy, they need to just stick to that trilogy and not do any more side quests. So when you say side quests, you mean no more solo like ventures or... If we're going to have Star Wars coming out, there's no reason to have this Star Wars following this group of people and then, oh, let's do a backstory for this this Star Wars character. Like, pick one. Don't go both avenues. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Though, on that respect, I am kind of happy to see some of the ideas they have, especially for the Disney Plus was like The Mandalorian and, um, ah, crap. There was like another Star Wars series they were working on, but I can't remember the name of it right now. But they're, I think what they might do going forward is like stick these side stories to just like TV special on their streaming service when that launches. See, I'd be okay with that. That would be all right because then we wouldn't have, oh, we've got Star Wars coming out in December. Oh, we've got Star Wars coming out in June? Why? Right, right. You know, the more I think about Solo, because you mentioned like, you know, I actually like parts of it as well, is that Solo came out in the wrong time. I think Solo, if Solo came out on Disney+, Plus, the reaction would be so much better. Yeah. They might even be able to turn that into like a miniseries. And be able to like really let the characters breathe some. But like because they made it like it's like a two hour film to squeeze all that in. And no offense, but I think the my biggest problem with Solo is that the uh, Kessel run, for example. I thought the Kessel one was like underwhelmed. Yeah, it really was. For something that's you know, it's one of those it's a it's a legendary piece of Star Wars. It's like one of the most legendary pieces of uh, history like for Star Wars, and we always had that left to our imagination. So by showing us the Kessel run itself and kind of being like a pretty bland CGI escape. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like um, like some some stuff like that. Unless they were able to act, really do something amazing with it, they should never have bothered at all. Yeah, that one that one felt more like they were just trying to tick a checkbox. Like it's like, oh well, you know, we have to have it. Well, this is a solo movie. We have to put the Kessel Run in there, and really, they didn't have to. Yeah. yeah, but given what that film went through, because you know, you guys know it went through like two directors. It went through uh. Mm-hmm. The, the Lord Miller, and then it went to Ron Howard. And you could tell which parts were probably Ron Howard, right? Like Kessel Run. He like he's a good director, but he's also a safe director. Yeah, he's like he's he just does things. It felt like a very safe thing, like you said, on a checklist to do. The Lord Miller stuff you could tell was kind of like the some of the bantering at the beginning with him and Chewie. Yeah, like you can kind of tell there's a bit of that humor there, but then there's after there's a point where it gets kind of bland. Like it gets a little bit like okay. We're here, checkpoint. Here, checkpoint. Load <laughs> safe. <laughs> you know? No, it really does, right? Because it's, it's like a video game. You're going, next location. Okay, we got this cast member. We got, we recur this member on the ship. Ocon, next ne- next place. Next place, twist ending. Don't Done. forget to read your Tauntaun. Uh, <laughs> oh, we got to do the twist. Here's Darth Maul. Here's our twist. You know, honestly, um, Honestly, I know it was a solo movie and everything, but my favorite character was probably Amelia Clark's character. Because why was that? I think that she, the writing for one, was really good for her. I I like her as an actress. Anyways, I think she's a very strong actress and she's very versatile. So her playing that role, especially after coming out of being Khaleesi, I think that was a really smart move on the casting part. But the character, to me, the character had more depth to her than what it was originally showing at the beginning of the movie. 
So as you go through the story, she's actually showing that she's been calculating all this crap in her head. It's true. You're right, actually, because they try to make the story about it all, but it's a story of Han Solo and how he became like this scrappy little survivor to becoming the man he is, right? Right. But really, like, it's also her story and about and all the decisions she's made and what she's had to do to basically survive in this universe. And, with, and the deals she's obviously had to make. And it's kind of sad that we're probably never going to get that follow-up to, like, her association with Darth Vader. Right. Because of how badly this, this solo film did, supposedly. Yeah, I feel, I feel bad that I cannot remember that character's name. You know, it's, it's too... I can't remember it either. I remember Khaleesi. Okay, so the character's name in solo is Kira. Kira. Okay, yeah, there's no way I would remember that. Yeah. You know, I kind of wonder about the the Wookiee race. wonder if they'll ever visit more on that. I think they would. I mean, Chewie's a pretty big part. I mean, he's still a big part of the cast, right? But actually, um, I don't know if either of you read the comic books for uh, Star Wars, but I've been reading the series uh, recently called Dr. Aphra. Oh, I've heard good. That's a good series. That's a really good series. Yeah, it's it's an amazing series, but you know, if they ever want to retire Chewbacca, Doctor Aphra series introduced to Wookiee, I think would be a perfect follow up to him, uh, and the Wookiee named the Black Chrysanthemum. I would love if they took stuff from Doctor Aphra and brought it into the live actions or any any of the other Star Wars media. Honestly, that comic is like a good example of how to do an expanded universe with a new Star Wars universe. Actually, speaking of comics, you've noticed there's been the wave of all these Harley Quinn comics. Yeah. Not to segue. I know I've been posting a lot, but I noticed that there's been like at least, I feel like there's been like three or four different things I've seen in the last two months that's been focused on um, giving like Harley, you know, re-examining Harley and Joker's relationship, but like in different settings. So, hey, fun fact, since we're talking about Harley Quinn and releases of this year and stuff, um, there's a web television series based on Harley Quinn. It's coming out in November. Oh, really? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Nice. That's coming on the DC's. It's coming on the DC's uh, comics app or their web service, their Harley Quinn cartoon show. Um, are you excited for that, Chessa? I just now learned about it actually because, like I said, I've been so. You just learned about it. Okay. I did because I've been so busy with work and everything. I haven't really gotten a chance to see what all's coming out. So I looked it up, and that was the first thing that popped up because I thought maybe I thought maybe the influx of things releasing for Harley Quinn was had something to do with Bird of Prey. Yeah, that's probably true. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's probably part of it. Also, with the Joker film that just came out. So everyone's just trying to capitalize on that excitement. And I know you like, you particularly like the Harley Quinn character. I do. And I think Ani does too. I'm always kind of ambivalent. It depends on who's writing her for me most times. I feel like they lean too hard to make her Deadpool sometimes. Yeah, and uh, DC, of course, has a problem of they, they try to add too much sex appeal to their female characters to the point that it's kind of grating. Oh, God. Yeah, that was a horrible, horrible movie. The the, uh, the Harley Quinn and Batman movie. Yeah, it was bad. See, I like parts of that movie still, I do, because they do a lot of callbacks to the animated series. But I totally understand the complaint you have about that, about that film, because it does do things with Harley's character. It's kind of like, really? Really? This is what you're going to go with? Yeah, of all the things you could do. You know, especially that one scene where it's like she's sitting there complaining about how everyone just sees her as a sex object. And then what you do right afterwards, she rapes Nightwing. Beautiful. But he likes it. <laughs> That's their defense. Like, he likes it. Yeah, that was the part that made it even more disturbing. It's like, really? Okay. You know what I think about Pablo Harry Quinn is that because she's so, she's so inconsistently written, 
that's why I have, I have a hard time. Like I, ha- I like Harley Quinn, but only if you talk about a specific thing she's in, like uh, Injustice, the, ju- the Justice game. I think she's great. Yeah, in Justice. Like probably my favorite Harley Quinn. She's great in stuff like the animated series, where you find out, like you know, you see how she basically uh, ends up with like in the future with as a crazy grandma, as an angry grandma in Batman Beyond universe. That's her future essentially. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, like, fun stuff like that, but then you have what you just mentioned, these, like, really sexist, horrible depictions of Harley Quinn, and they're, like, it's so dumb, it's so unappealing that it's kind of boring. Yeah. And I, it's still, like, I think the Arkham Asylum games, for example, the Batman Arkham Asylum games do a really bad Harley Quinn. Like, they, they oversexed her too much, and uh, there's, like, no, I don't get, there's no, like, oh, like, no, I'm not like, ah, oh, that's cool, it's Harley Quinn, I'm kind of like, ugh, <sighs> Harley See, like right now for me, my favorite Harley Quinn is the Harley Quinn in the New 52 series of comics because they are post-Joker breakup and she's kind of trying to, you know, find herself again. It's just, it's a re- it's a really refreshing take on Harley. Yeah, and I think it's a lot like the, 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 the Injustice Joker and that, the Injustice, I mean, Justice Harley and 52 Harley actually take a lot of the same notes from each other, so I can yeah, I also like that they uh, kind of made her not so much like the hero, but not the villain. She's kind of it's just kind of like a more comedic like kind of take on her doing stuff in the DC universe with the different characters. At least that's how I remember it. Anyway, I've been a while since I read any of them. So, in that, with that in mind, though, are you have you both seen the uh, trailer for the new Birds of Prey? I have. I'll admit I have not. You haven't? No, I need to watch it. Oh, you need to watch it. It looks so good. You know, Adi, while Chess and I, well, well actually, Chess, so while we talk about it briefly, Adi, get off this mic and, well, can you do that? And go watch it quick on your phone or something. Yeah, I can, I'll, I'll mute it real quick and then I'll, I'll get back to you, so. Yeah, it's not very long. Yeah, it's only, it's like two minutes long, so. All right, so I'm going to get off and then you guys can talk about it. Okay, so what, do you, what are your thoughts on it, Chess, on the New Birds of Prey trailer? I'm excited. Um, I'm really excited to see what they're going to do because it's, because it's such a short trailer, it doesn't really show too much of what they're planning to do as far as a story goes. And I haven't looked it up to see what they're like. I'm so in the dark on this. Is it an actual movie that's coming to theaters? Is it going to be a TV movie? Like, what are they doing here? It's a movie that's coming out in February in theaters. Oh, it is coming to theaters. Okay. Yes. So it's not just a, it's not just like a TV show or a random thing coming out on the internet. It's going to be a full length feature film. So that's cool. Sorry, it's distracting because Annie is literally sitting right in front of me. So I'm like watching his expressions. He's watching it on his phone. So I can, like, I've got my headset completely on. And so I'm listening to, I can hear the music playing. And he's just like watching it. He's got this smile on his face. So I think that's a good thing. But no, I am excited. Um, I hope they don't biff it up, but... See, I'm ambivalent about it still, and I'm not. It's, I feel like maybe this is me being that, that crusty comic book fan, maybe because I didn't like Suicide Squad that much. But I always thought that Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn was just not nearly as good as people said it was. Yeah, like I felt like she was trying to just mimic Harley Quinn as opposed to being Harley Quinn. Yeah, but I feel like that also was the problem with the script. Like, they, and I and I'm I am open to the idea that they're by doing this film, they would like Margot Robbie will have a better feel and a better understanding of what her. Harley Quinn 
things. That it won't just be like mimicking mannerisms. But if I had any issues with the trailer that I did see, is that one, Ian McGregor is a very attractive man. Mm -hmm. And he's very charismatic in roles he does. But he's also playing Black Mask. Yeah. Who's a pretty, like, I don't know if you're familiar with your Batman Rogue Gallery, but he has, like, a, a black skull for a face. Right. So I'm always kind of, I'm just already kind of thinking, like, just commit, just commit to making a black mask from the start. Like, why? I understand they're probably doing it for Hollywood purposes, but that was also, like, kind of me. And I know Lane McGregor's going to do a great job with it, but that was kind of a negative for me. Right. And my other issue is that I don't get a sense of anything about the other, uh, how the other Birds of Prey characters are going to be. The Huntress, the Black Canary, and back. And one thing, I don't know how deep your comic book lore goes, but I don't know if you're familiar with Cassandra Kane. Yes. Her whole thing as in the comics is that she's a bit of, she's like a mute character and she's kind of learning how to like speak and she learns like she, the problem, she was basically trained to be a martial artist, but she also doesn't, isn't able to speak. And there's a lot of like, the reasons her character are compel- is compelling in the book is that right. she's learning a lot of social mannerisms. And she's learning to kind of become a human being in a way because she was deprived of that during her training. So in the trailer, they make her really chatty and they make her like completely different from the Cassandra Kane of the books. And it's not like I'm totally against that. Right. Necessarily that they're going to go that route. But like it just, it, it, it kind of, it does rub me the wrong way a little bit. I feel like they're just throwing the character in there. And the fact there aren't really any costumes for um, the noticeable costumes I've seen for in the trailer. It doesn't mean they won't have them in the comic books, in the movie. But I'm just kind of like, well, I'm not sure what I think. I like the energy of the trailer. I think Margot Robbie has it in her to do something really interesting. I like the part with the hyena. See, that was the part that made me the most excited because... Because that's, I mean, that's that's a throwback to the animated series. She had two hyenas. And don't think she has them in the new 52 ones yet. Of course, I'm not caught up either. No, but like I thought, I saw that. I'm like, okay, I like that part. I think there's some good energy there. She does, she's having a fun time playing with the camera and kind of shooting up the scenery a little bit. So, like, I'm open to the idea of really liking this movie, and I will judge it by itself. But I admit that some, the way that they're handling the birds of prey and black mass in the trailer kind of puts me off a little bit. I have mixed feelings on this, because I like Margot Robbie. I do. Or Robbie. I like her. Wasn't a huge fan of how she portrayed Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad, because it was one of those things that I'm used to Harley Quinn having the Bostonian accent. Like the cartoon. Yeah. So... Hearing that accent was very few and far between in Suicide Squad. And I'm like, either have it or don't have it. I'd prefer you have it. But if you don't have it, that's fine. Don't make it a thing. Like, it's not It's not like she was switching between being Harley Quinzel and Harley Quinn. She was Harley Quinn for the purpose of that movie. And by that point, she should have already had the accent. And I noticed that in this trailer, she does kind of have more of it. So I'm very confused as to why they didn't have her with it initially, and now she has it. Of course, I'm also one of those purest people that I feel like if you're going to have somebody in a movie, and that movie has a particular accent that needs to be done, get somebody who can either do the accent well, or get a native of that accent. Well, that's interesting, because I think on the one hand, deciding that Suicide Squad Suicide Squad 1 doesn't exist, that's okay with me. And I, and I know that the new James Gunn Suicide Squad, his, um, they're doing a new Suicide Squad. He's just redoing everything, apparently, to the point that they're not even going to call it Suicide Squad 2. It's just going to be like the Suicide Squad, or it's going to be like something like, like, this is the real film you wanted to see. 
So I'm okay with them just not like if if she if they felt like the Harley Quinn that film wasn't working and they wanted her like they said just commit to a Bostonian accent that's fine mm-hmm. we can ignore that film I don't care about the continuity that's how my feeling is on that so uh, okay Ani's back oh I've been back but I was gonna say am am I wrong or did I see Jim Carrey in that trailer because there was a guy who looked like Jim Carrey no he's not I, at least I don't think he's it I don't think he's in it was it a recognize was it just like a henchman or I don't know, but there was a guy who I swear looked like Jim Carrey. Maybe he's doing it as a side thing if Sonic the Hedgehog doesn't work out. Oh, I forgot that was a thing. <laughs> you know, people are remembering. People are remembering that's a thing now because apparently, the, despite the fact the movie got pushed back to whatever, the Halloween costumes are coming out. Oh god! Because they didn't plan for the fact this movie wouldn't be coming out. So no matter what, those Halloween costumes are made and they're being sold. Oh. And they feature that same Sonic design. Oh no! For like for how for Halloween consumption. So if you actually if you have a chance to Google on the internet the Sonic the Hedgehog costume, there it's the costume from the movie that's making some uh, fun fun news there, and it looks really creepy. I was gonna say let this be a warning to our listeners to not have their lights on to attract the kids this Halloween. <laughs> oh. Why are we worried about people in Joker costumes? We should worry about kids in Sonic costumes instead, knocking on your door. So, Ani, what did you think of the trailer? I actually have a lot of potential. I could see it being really good, but I don't want to hold my breath just yet because I've seen it before where DC trailers can look really awesome, but the movie... It sucks. I'll just say. I'll just be honest. It's like, they suck. So, I'm hoping this one is going to be as good as it looks because it looks amazing. Yeah. So you like the energy, you like the action. Yeah. I also like the fact that Harley Quinn got relegated to a midriff wearing short shirt and a pair of short shorts that are so far up her butt. It's amazing she can move. Like the original Suicide Squad, I was like, how do you not get a wedge each time you shift? Well, they got to get some another part of the fan base in the seats. <laughs> but no, overall, though, I did like it. See, I, I don't know. I think it's just the hardcore nerd in me. I'm just... Like the way I, I think I'm like the hardcore nerd of me is not worried about what they're doing with Harley Quinn. The hardcore nerd of me is worried about all the other characters. Like you know, like what are they doing to Cassandra Cain? Why are they doing that to her character? Why is she talking so much? Why doesn't Black Skull actually have a Black Skull? Black Mask, sorry, Black Mask. Excuse me. But a part of me wonders if that's also like uh, you know, isn't for me because like you know these are it's a fun looking movie, but there should be something for the fans. To kind of grab onto, right? Right. So if you take some core elements out of those characters, then that's that is kind of a turnoff. Well, I think it kind of goes back to you know, I think it's like it's you know, it's not so much just being like an uber nerd about it. It's kind of like one of those things. It's like you know, there's certain hallmark that you just kind of expect. Like uh, Black Mask has a skull mask, you know, or. It'd be kind of like making Batman dress in pink, which would be kind of interesting to see, but at the same time, that's not Batman. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. That'd only be like with the old school. Either that'd only be the Batman, like either the Brave and the Bold or the uh, those really old school Golden Age Batmans. Yeah. Adam West. <laughs> exactly. That's the only time you would see a pink Batman nowadays. But yeah, no, I agree with you on that. <laughs> There's a pink Batman Lego ballerina. <laughs> Pink Batman. There's a song. Dan Deacon made a song called Pink Batman. And there's a Pink Batman Funko. There is, yeah. I know there is a, there was a Pink Batman in the comic books, though. I'm sure. Well, there was Rainbow Batman. I remember that. And I think, uh, like the Rainbow Batman, like you said, is that just Batman split 
into different colored Batmans. Is that what you're talking about? Well, there was that one, but there was also one where it's like, I, it was back in like the, the Silver Age, and he basically had to, he had to wear a different colored bat suit every night. And I can't remember why he had to wear a different colored bat suit, but he had to wear a different colored bat suit. Just because. <laughs> I'm getting bored of black. <laughs> why don't we use this part of the cast uh, to talk about things we're looking forward to in the next two weeks? Let's see. What's coming out in the next two weeks that I'm looking forward to? Um, crap. I don't have the calendar right in front of my face right now, but I know there's supposedly a game coming out this month, isn't there? No, no games, no anything. There's nothing. I'm lying. I'm lying. I don't have it. Yeah, I think that's... No, no, actually, Chess is correct in that regard. I think the only game you would be interested in, Oni, would have been The Outer Worlds, which is also an epic exclusive. Well, I was going to say, I guess in that case, all I'm really interested in right now is probably uh, just the general season of Halloween, man. All the scary movies. You know, I'm probably going to load up a bunch of scary games on my computer to start playing those again. I'll probably actually start running, do like a marathon of Resident Evil or something this year. A marathon of Resident Evil. So you you would play the remaster of one, do the remake of two. Yeah, and then there was like four, five, and six, and then seven. Maybe hit Doom, which I need to do anyway before the next one releases. Kind of refresh myself on that. What about you, Chessa? So there's a couple things. There are there's at least one movie coming out. I think all the other ones are out already, but there's one coming out that I'm excited for. There's a couple of games that I'm excited for, and I know one of them. Uh, Ani is excited for. He just kind of forgot about it. Whoa! But to go back on um, on like our Halloween traditions and everything, Ani and I actually around this time of year we start playing Viscera Cleanup Detail. Oh yeah, that's like our thing for Halloween. Viscera Cleanup Detail. Wait, what? On Steam? What is? It's a game. Oh, it's a game. I've never heard of it. Okay, so it's. <laughs> It's kind of a glitched out game because sometimes your stuff doesn't stay where it's supposed to. But basically you play as a janitor and you go into, you know, like a house or a space station or something after a monster attack. And you clean up like all the body parts and carnage. So like a Godzilla attack or is it like a horror movie attack, a horror monster attack? Basically think of like every cliched uh, horror movie, comic book, story, video game you can imagine. And just imagine your job is like after you you either watch the scenes in those movies or those games, you're the guy who has to go and clean up after like all the bullets and monsters and stuff happen. Yeah. So it's kind of like damage control, but for uh... to put it to put it in the way that we, you and I, would probably relate to more with all our crime shows and everything. We're the people that go and clean up the homicide room. But like you go around, there's these things that you can put like body parts in, and then you have to take the you know the basket of body parts to the incinerator. Um, you have to mop up all the blood. Uh, it's good times. We play the Halloween version for Halloween, and then there's a Christmas version where you have to clean up Santa's workshop. But onto the video games that Bonnie forgot about. Uh, Medieval comes out on the 25th. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. And we ah Medieval. Have you guys played the demo? No, we need to. Um, but more importantly, Luigi's Mansion 3 comes out on the 31st. Oh, yeah. And I got that pre-ordered. So there's those. And then there's other stuff. Like, I don't know if you guys are into, like, Harvest Moon or Super Monkey Ball, but they've got games coming out, too. Oh, yeah. They're bringing, they're bringing back Monkey Ball. That's right. It's coming to all those systems. Yep. Comes out on the 29th. 
And then um, Maleficent 2 comes out. Wait, Maleficent 2 is this month? Yes. Wow. What? I thought that was coming out like next year. Nope. It's on the 18th. What? Wow. I knew, I think Frozen, is Frozen 2 out this month or is that December? I want to say it's in November. It is November. Ah, it would make sense. Closer to the Thanksgiving? It's the weekend before Thanksgiving. I figured November because uh, December we're going to have the next, uh, the final chapter of the Star Wars trilogy. So they got to have a blockbuster, a blockbuster a month. Uh, okay, I guess I'll answer my part here. Uh, Halloween-wise, I'm never sure. I can't think of anything. Maybe I'll go to my, I might jump into Resident Evil 2 again. It might be kind of fun. I was still, it's still probably one of my favorite games this year, so I'll probably maybe re-explore the content. I never got all the raccoon trophies, so that could be fun. There are games I was interested in, and I'm not, I, I'm not, but even outside the Outer Worlds, um, which I'm not sure I'll get yet. I might wait on that. Though there is one game I'm interested in this month. I think it's coming out next week. It's an indie game that was on other systems, or on, on PC, I think, primarily, coming to consoles. Uh, Return to Oberdin. Yeah. Is, uh, and I don't know if you guys looked at any of the cons played that game or uh, have gone into it. It's by the people, by the guys who did Papers, Please. Oh, dude, I love Papers, Please. The concept of the game, from what I've gathered, is that you're basically going in the ship and you're trying to figure out what happened on this, like, sh- on the ship in terms of, like, where did everyone go or who was killed or something. Like a murder mystery. From the first, from the video playthrough I saw, I don't know if that's the whole concept, but I saw, like, the first 20, 30 minutes of the game. And it looked amazing for anyone that likes, like, crime. Like, I think, Chester, you might like this, too. Um, it's, like, I think the first mystery involved, like, like um, you look over, looking over a, a ship manifest, and then your ability to kind of go back in the past and piece together who killed who with what by basically doing, like, a little bit of time travel. And then what happens is that you have a manifest, you'll have, like, an old picture with, like, old-timing pictures. Like, it's designed to look like a really old, like, piece of art. And their faces slowly get unblurred as you figure out what happened on the ship. So that actually might be my good horror game this month. So I, don't, I don't know if it's actually a horror game, but I love Papers, Please. And I love the idea of like games that really like play with your expectations and your perception of what's going on. I've heard awesome things. I know it's been, it was last year, it was on like everyone's top of the, top of the year list for most games. So I've been curious and I think I'm going to get it on Switch. And Death Stranding is next month. And that's going to be like, when we do an eventual podcast or Discord discussion about Death Stranding, it's going to be a doozy. And, um, let's see, shows. To, uh, I mentioned this briefly, and I'll talk about it briefly because I figured we might as well end the podcast shortly. But uh, I've been watching a little bit of the show Primal, uh, Yanni Tarkovsky's uh, new show. It's by the guy who did Samurai Jack. And to anyone who listens to this, Utah uh, EQ as well, it's already within two or three episodes. I think it's one of the best animated things I've seen in the world like 2d traditional animation or i don't know if it's traditional but it's it's very like it's beautiful it's brutal and it's really emotional like every episode feels like a piece of art every episode feels like a piece of art to me because i I mean i'm not gonna say like this guy is one of the best greatest directors or animators of all time but the show itself relies on the fact that nobody ever says anything because it takes place in prehistoric times and you play, and you're watching a caveman basically try to survive in this like prehistoric time period, and it's very like um, it tries to play like fantastical and really and realistic at the same time, and it's not afraid to pull edges with its story. So so far, a couple times like like I recommend going to the show as blind as possible, just knowing it's just about a caveman. 
Because I went in the first episode being like, oh, this is pretty cool. That's pretty gorgeous. Oh, there's some blood. Oh, God, I'm feeling emotions. <laughs> oh, my God, what just happened? And I just, like, got sucked in, like, within t- 10 minutes, I think. I was totally invested in the world they depicted. So if you guys have a chance, I think it's only going to be, like, six or seven episodes. But it's to me, it's probably one of the best things I've seen this year. Like, one of the, two of the, it's probably one of the best things I've seen Cartoon Network ever so if you like, you know, if you like Samurai Jack, especially like every, any episode that focuses on the silence of things, this is probably like this is top tier work from a master. I mean, it definitely sounds like something I'm gonna have to check out. Yeah, absolutely. There's only three episodes right right now, but it's uh, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. all right. All right. Oh, actually, here's a question that like I I want to ask everyone. So, do you guys actually have like any Halloween plans? Like, you know, I mean, we're too old to go trick or treating, I'm sure, but like, you know, people like to do like house parties, or it's just gonna be kind of one of those turn all the lights off and just watch scary movies kind of years. Oh, it falls on a Thursday, so I'll be at work. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> Ani, your question just got hit with a resounding thud there. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll be that's at not home. no fun there. You'll be at home. Yeah. What are your plans, Ani? While Chess is at work, for me, I think I'm just probably going to do the turn all the lights off and just watch some scary movies or play some scary games. You guys get trick or treaters? We uh, we didn't really get too many last year, honestly. Um, even though we live in an area that has a lot of kids, our town does like a trick or treat on Main, so we have downtown shut off and all of the storefronts will have trick-or-treating but they haven't come to, but they don't come to your house they usually don't come to the houses after they've stockpiled at the storefronts interesting but you guys stock up anyway. oh yeah um, i stock up on candy because it's candy <laughs> okay i don't have traditions nowadays because like uh you know I, what happens now is that because i have my sister's dog uh, luca uh he can't they my sister's family goes out and does trick-or-treating and they take the yeah. kids out but with all the doorbell ringing that happens in the neighborhood the dogs freak out all the time so I'll luckily have the dogs with me on halloween and i'll and why complex is astute enough to note that you know there is a lot of trick-or-treaters in a complex sometimes so they'll give us little door uh Door signs that we can put up that say like no trick or treaters. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So what I'll probably do on Halloween is because I'll have two dogs with me, I'll probably find something really something new that I haven't seen. I don't know if I don't what it will be, but it's maybe some horror movie that I've been kind of waiting on. Either that it'll come out that weekend or that day, or something I've been thinking about watching. I'll probably watch it that evening. Okay, so I do have a question for you, Z. Have you seen Train to Busan yet? I couldn't remember because I've talked to so many people about it. Yes, I have. I think I've talked about it. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. I need to like go back and watch it again. Maybe that'll be part of the tradition going forward. Yeah, I do. Like I, there that that's I don't know. It's amazing. I, I was fascinated with Korean cinema. They go hardcore. That particular director is just so like amazing. And then he, had, I think the same guy ended up doing Snowpiercer later. Right, if I remember correctly. I think so. And then now they're doing a TV show based on Snowpiercer that's coming out, I think, next year. So we'll see. I I, I love that movie. So maybe that's a good. That'll be a good one to watch. It's like Dawn of the Dead, but on a train. And directed better. <laughs> oh, way better. All right. I guess we should probably wrap up for now. I guess I'll, I'll do the honors. So I do want to thank everyone who listened in on us tonight. I hope you enjoyed this uh, format. It was a little more open than the last couple of ones we've done. As before, if you would like to send us an email, please email us at retrofantasyfans at gmail.com. 
If you did like the music that we had tonight, it was written and composed by Kevin McLeod, and you can find more of his music at incompetent.com. For Z and Chester, I am Annie, and I hope you have a wonderful night. Thank you.